Hey friends, welcome to Conversations with Kenzie, a podcast hosted by yours truly, Kenzie Brenna. No topic goes unturned here. We talk about everything with everyone. We like to get raw and sometimes we get heavy and sometimes we swear. So I'm warning you now. Also, we are working remotely. So audio quality between host and guest may differ. Lastly, check out our show notes for giveaways, fun promotions, or discounts to our favorite stuff. Enjoy the show. Okay. Hi, Tiffany. Hello. How are you doing today? I am doing great because I'm talking to you and I'm really excited about it. Oh, I'm really excited to talk to you too. I absolutely loved your book. My friend Scott gave it to me and I was reading it and everything was just hitting all of the right notes and I felt bold enough to reach out to you. And so I'm so excited that you said yes to come on to talk to us today about technology and all of that good stuff. Well, it's such a gift to uh, meet readers this way online, like on Instagram, which actually I was always on Twitter and not really on Instagram, even though my daughter was. And I finally really understand the value of it. And I think the most is connecting with people like you that it seems to be one of the last social medium that is so easy to connect with people. And it's a really wonderful place for people that love my book to reach out to me, which means so much after you've worked so hard on a book and poured your soul into something and have it just resonate so deeply. So, and, and I loved learning and looking at all of your posts and your philosophy, and it was very inspiring. Oh, thank you so much. I totally agree with you, though, that Instagram in particular is a really fascinating and appealing platform because it allows for not just pictures, but allows for video. And it also allows for larger captions where Twitter is sort of, you know, kind of centered into these like small little quotes. And YouTube is very focused around video, but Instagram, it kind of captures all of it. And it started off being geared towards a younger audience. It got a lot more of attention than Facebook. Like I think Facebook people kind of date and say like, you know, boomers use Facebook and like our moms and dads use Facebook. But it really seems that like Instagram is like a hub. And now that Instagram has the messaging feature for the last few years, I mean, you can like huge. Yeah really big. And it makes me so happy too when I can find like an author online or really when I can find anybody online and I can like see glimpses into their personal life and I can kind of like see the person behind the book or behind the music or whatever it is. That's a great way to put it. It is, you know, because I remember one author, this was my first book. I'm a filmmaker normally. I mean, still am. But um, I asked one author advice for when I did the book tour and she was like, people love behind the scenes. And you're right that Instagram, if you post honestly, and not just the best of your life. It is a behind the scenes and you show all the different parts of it. So that's a great, that's a great point. I mean, I, you know, I have a whole chapter in the book, the pros and cons of social media, because I do struggle with it. You know, I'm always very psyched to get off of it each week, but I don't want to, I know you need to frame what my book's about. So I'll wait for you to do that before I talk about that. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. So I was going to ask, can you give us a little bit about your background? Because you wrote this incredible book called 24-6, The Power of Unplugging One Day a Week. And it's highlighted for me in here. I've got all, I'm like, I've messed it up. Like I can never, you know, give it to a used bookstore or anything, which is fine because I love it. But like you said, you know, you're, you don't come from a space of 
being an author necessarily. And um, you're also not a technologist. You're not necessarily, you know, in engineering or whatnot. So I want to know a bit about your history, your filmmaking history, and what drew you to writing this book about unplugging. Yeah. So, I mean, early in my career, um, while I wasn't actually doing code, I did, um, I've always been interested in early forms of technology. So I founded the Webby Awards in my 20s, which honors the best of the web. So the first decade of my career, I was very focused on how technology was changing our lives and highlighting the best of the web. So I sold it 10, 13 years ago. So it still happens every year. The nominees just got announced. It happens in New York. But that was like the first chapter of my career. And that I really was working. I founded the Webby's really trying to pay off my debt for a film I was working on and got a job. And then and I founded the Webby's and this whole thing. But uh, my first love, if there was one, was making movies. It was the ritual in my life. I did every week, even through my parents' divorce. We always went to the movies on Sunday night and then used films as a way to talk about the meaning of life and what matters and all of that. And But I also always loved technology. I was interested in early forms of the web back in the 80s. And really, I would go back and forth at the beginning of my career from filmmaking to technology, which would pay for my filmmaking back and forth. And then I founded the Webby Awards, and that exploded. And I kind of rode that rocket for a good decade. And then I really wanted to get back to filmmaking. Like As soon as video, I know it's probably, I know you're a lot younger than me, but in the early days of the web, you couldn't show video. So the minute that YouTube came around 2005 and I could start showing my movies on the web combined with the social activism you can do with the web, I thought I want to go back to filmmaking combined with everything I lear- I've learned from the web. So I sold the Webby Awards. I started a film studio in San Francisco. We make documentaries about neuroscience and creativity and psychology and history and uh, all with a very fun, whimsical humor, lots of animations and asking really provocative questions. And we also make something we call cloud films where we invite the public to answer questions for us on their cell phones and we edit it all together. We're working on one right now about COVID. So I've had a lot of films at Sundance. I've had them play in theaters and I experiment a lot with the new tools available to make films. And I'm also, my husband's a professor of robotics. So we're talking about technology a lot. What does it amplify? What does it amputate? Um, What's the best part of it and what part can it never replace? And so around 10 years ago, actually, it was 11 years ago, exactly yesterday, um, my father died of brain cancer. And just days later, um, my daughter was born, and it was a very dramatic moment in my life. And I, I'm Jewish, I should say, but I'm not religious. And I never grew up practicing Shabbat, but my husband had. And basically, 10 years ago, um, we started practicing something we call a technology Shabbat where I was feeling after I lost my dad, my daughter was born, just, I didn't want to feel so distracted and I needed to create space for what matters. So we decided to turn off all screens Friday night to Saturday night for what we called our tech Shabbat, which is kind of an updated version of the very kind of religious form of Shabbat, which is a day of rest. And it completely changed our lives. It's just been the best thing that's ever I've ever done. It's made me feel more creative and connected and productive and so many things. And then um, I finally was like, as the longer we did it, the more addicted everyone was becoming on the screens. So I decided I really wanted to share this idea widely and write a book, which I really enjoyed doing. It was not going to be my last book. I loved the process. And, um, and then what's been really interesting, it came out last fall, so 2019. And then um, I put all of those ideas 
from the book into a one-woman show and cinema experience that I called Spoken Cinema that premiered at MoMA in New York, Museum of Modern Art in New York in February, literally almost the last day before the city shut down. And it was combining my work in film and all the ideas in the book. And then the pandemic happened. And there's been this whole, like the texture bots have been like 10 times more important to keep during this period. And so it's been really interesting to rethink a lot of ideas in the book during this period where everyone's on screens so much more. Wow. You are amazing. Oh my gosh. I want to dive headfirst into all of your films because the story that you took us through in 24-6 was amazing. And it's not like it's it's not a fiction. It's a book based on what's happening right now in, in our tech lives and based on your experiences with this technology Shabbat that you talk about and tips and tricks about how to do it and whatnot. So it's not necessarily a fiction, but there's still a story to it. You know, you still take us through like, you know, the beginning of things like time zones, what it was like to all be on the same time zone or, mm-hmm. or not on the same time zone, but for us to all have coherent time together and what that meant for productivity and what that meant for travel and what that meant for meeting up with people and how it's gone from us being these like humans bumping into each other, making art, being creative to being quite productive, being quite capitalistic to now we can't disconnect. And that's kind of like the journey that I felt that I was being taken on. And and I loved it. And I felt like I related so much in it, even though that, you know, our lives are different. I'm not a mom and I'm not a filmmaker, but I still felt what you have felt where I feel so connected to my technology, but I feel like I can't disconnect. But I know that in my heart, I need to in mm-hmm. moments. Mm-hmm. And so anyways, I'm just saying that I appreciated your work on it. And that you sound like an artist, you know, you sound like a storyteller. And I love that. I'm really curious because first of all, also my condolences to your dad passing. I can't imagine what a time that was with him passing and then having your daughter. I feel like that would have really thrusted me into a very hard, very new chapter of my life. And it almost is, it's almost like in a way, like it made it makes sense that you guys decided to have a tech Shabbat at that time because Mm. there must have just been so much going on that to quiet all that stuff down and to get really, you know, intimate with your family during a time where you needed to grow and you needed to rest. It makes sense why that was like the time that it thrusted you into that. Well, I think that it was a very dramatic moment and I feel a lot of parallels to what everyone's going through right now because In a lot of ways, if you could say a metaphor, like my father was my safety. He was the sense of everything. There was a sense of safety in the world. And that's been ripped away from everyone right now where it doesn't feel safe to go out. There's a lot of uncertainty. And we're forced into look at really what matters in life. And so I feel a lot of parallels on a global scale of the sense of what's important, what matters. We're moving around too much. We're consuming and producing too much. We're not thinking enough. We're not spending enough time with ourselves. We're so connected. And so I see such a parallel to this moment, to the moment I was in. And those kind of moments of deep fear and drama can lead to behavioral changes. And look at, we've all been forced to completely change the way we live in the last two months. I mean, the whole way we're living is differently. And so I think it's an opportunity if we choose to, is like, 
we're in this crazy moment and how can we, during this period when we have a lot of time on our hands, build in a practice, a lot of time on our hands and not a lot of obligations to go places, to build in a really profound practice that can carry you forward after the pandemic or if there will be an after, but in this next phase that will really create shelter and uh, a resetting because I'm like you, I mean, during the week, I try to do all these interventions the other six days. You know, I have one complete day of heaven when I'm offline and I just crave it. I love it. Uh, my 17-year-old daughter, Odessa, just on Saturday said, as we were kind of strapped into our masks and our bike helmets, and she looked at me and said, our tech Shabbats are the only time during quarantine when I feel free, when I don't feel like I'm in quarantine. And I was like, whoa, that's so heavy and big. And yes, it's the only day I feel so protected from the news, from the obligation, from just all the input. I can just mm -hmm. process. Like we don't give ourselves any time to process because we're so reactive and connecting and linking and notifying. And we there's such value in just processing. And how do you mm. create space for that and just being and being present? So mm. that was just a super long answer, but <laughs> no, I love it. There's so much to unpack there. I'm curious if you can actually define what Shabbat. Uh, what Shabbat yeah, usually yeah. means, because I know that for a lot of people listening, that might be a new term. And then we yeah. can actually discuss what yeah. is Shabbat and um, what does that look like for you guys when you take that text Shabbat day? Yeah. So Shabbat, it's it, like in Judaism, it's called Shabbat or the Sabbath. And in Christianity, it's called the Sabbath. And almost every religion has some form of it. It's a day of rest. Now, if you're really religious, it is actually the fourth commandment that you shall have a day of rest. <laughs> and it's kind of crazy because if you look at the religious texts, it is above do not commit murder on the 10 commandments as like something that's that important for living a good life. Take a full day of rest. Do not commit murder, love thy neighbor, you know, all the things that you're supposed to do to live a good life. Wow, uh, that's so interesting because so interesting. you would Yeah. Yeah, because we we have devalued rest so much yes. that you would think like okay, I'm like, I like, that's just, sorry, that's just bananas to me. No, it's so huge because now we live in a society, we're trying to optimize every second and produce and consume. And it's so exhausting. It's bad for us individually. It's bad for the planet as we're seeing. Um, but going back to, so if you are a really religious Orthodox Jew, which were really the only people I knew that did a complete day of rest, you do not drive, you don't use money you don't write, you don't do any kind of creation, you truly rest. Now, in my version with my family, we are not religious, we are cultural Jews. We have defined it as no screens. So we still have a Shabbat. Oh, if you usually if you're Jewish, you many Jews will have like a Shabbat meal, which is like a beautiful festive meal on Friday nights, you invite over friends, you make special bread called challah, you light the candles. It's this very festive fun night. Now we do do that part because we're all about that part. <laughs> But so normally when we're not in pandemic, we always have people over, we set the table beautifully, and then all screens go off and we made a beautiful homemade meal. And then we're off screen. So the Friday night's normally very social and Saturday is much more about our family, ourselves, just being, thinking, reading, resting. I do a lot of writing on Shabbat. If you were a religious Jew, that's not allowed. But in my view, it's to me, my best writing, my best thinking, my best reading, my best connecting. But really the essence of Shabbat, I think, is about being grateful and being present and filling your day with joy. I think anybody would say that's what it's about. 
And, um, and then in the Christian, you know, it used to be you went to church on Sunday and you were with family. So everybody's has informed it, but right now in our society, only the super observant people practice that strict day of rest. So I am saying in this book, oh my gosh, a true day of rest is exactly what I needed. It's exactly what my family needed. And there's some profound wisdom in this ancient over 3000 year old practice. And we need to liberate it from being just a, a religious practice and let it be available to everyone. Just like yoga and meditation, I do both of those. They bring great joy and balance back into my life, but I am not Hindu or Buddhist. I mean, I do believe in a lot of Buddhist ideas, but anyway, so it's about drawing from the great wisdom of the past and rethinking about it for the 21st century. And in, in our case, it means no screen. So that's why we call it Tech Shabbat. And and I like the word Shabbat. It just sounds kind of playful and fun to me and happy. And <laughs> probably because I have all those associations with it, but um, that is what it means. Yeah, I love it. And what did the first Shabbat feel like for you? Because I feel like people are going to be listening to this. And I know that you've heard this, but they're going to think like, that's really scary, you know, to turn off everything that makes us connected. To disconnect yourself from that can feel really, really, really scary. And so I'm curious, what did the first one or first few feel like for you? Or I'm assuming that there was a lot of trial and error where you realized I need to do yeah. this the day before if I'm going to have yes, you, you have know, to good do some preparing. Yeah. And in my book, I really hold your hand through that. What do you need? Well, we have a landline, which we live in California, and we had wildfires, we have earthquakes. It's really good to have just it's like a very inexpensive technology to have in your home that's a phone wired to the wall. So we do have that. You do have to tell your friends and family that for the day you're not going to be available and. I don't know. I I know there's fear for people. I think so. I find during the week it's much harder to put the phone down. Although I do a whole bunch of interventions, which I'll tell you about, that have really made my life better. Like I don't look at it when I wake up, and that was like a training myself. But the during the the prep, um, I think it'd be really good to think about the fear. What is that fear about? You're going to miss out. Well, right now we're not missing out on anything. Uh, but I've been feeling like, what happened in the news? What new stressful news headline did I miss? But all that stressful news headlines all the time is putting pumping so much hormonal cortisol into your body, which is not a healthy, you're in a constant state of heightened alert and major stress. But I guess what I would really do if you're thinking about it is write a list of all the things that bring you joy that don't involve a screen. Is that doing watercolor? Is it yoga? Is it playing ukulele? Is it going for a walk? Is it writing? Is it reading? Is it drawing? Is it cooking? Is it napping? Is it doing nothing, which is perfectly acceptable? Gardening, write that list. Is it playing Frisbee? Is it, and I have a whole list at the back of the book, all the things by age to recommend, but write a list and fill the day with that. I already by like Wednesday, I start to pile things on the counter, like books I want to read deeply or articles or an art project or something I want to do that brings me joy. And um, by Saturday, it's just like a day filled with joy. So I guess the fear part, I would spend a little time journaling what's that fear about. I think it's about being alone. And I think that's real. And right now we need a lot of distractions from the situation, totally acceptable and real. But if you distract yourself and entertain yourself and scroll all the time or produce and create all the time, you're never going to just sit with yourself, what you're really feeling, 
what you really want out of your life, what your dream is. You can't listen to that voice when you're just giving it so much new stimulation. And I also find as a filmmaker, and, and you're an artist as well, and in, in all the things you're creating, I'm always trying to think what's going to make me most creative. And if I look back on 10 years of doing this practice, I have my best ideas on Saturday. They always appear to me on Saturday. So that's an environment for great ideas. And there's mm-hmm. a lot of neuroscience behind that and reasons I go into my films and in the book. But how do you create space in your life for authentic connection? Now, if you live alone right now during the pandemic, we do a Zoom with our family right before we shut down at 530 mm-hmm. on Friday. So like dose, super dose of connection and then turn it off and just be with yourself. Like it's a great skill and yeah. evolvement in who you are to journal, to write, to read, to to just be. And I think we've created a society that doesn't leave any room for reflection or just being or being still, still with your emotions, with your thoughts, rest. I mean, I'm very, I love doing and, but I find that by having a complete day of stillness and rest and reflection after my very social Friday night, which even during the pandemic, we still set the table, we make a lovely meal and we're connecting in a way we don't during the week because we're all on different screens and multitasking and trying to balance the whole situation, which is very tough. Yeah, absolutely. I definitely think that the fear, it what we've done right now with social media and with tech is that we have been sourcing our self-worth on it, you know, especially on social media when you can put up a picture of yourself and you get a bunch of likes and that's like a hit of dopamine and you want to do it again and all of your friends are doing stuff and you want to know what everybody's doing and like what's going on. And I feel like, yeah, we have attached so much of our attention, so much of our that you that like daydreaming headspace that we would normally be in without our phone where we would just you know gaze out the window or like zone out of a talk or whatever it is we mm-hmm. now take that space and we put it into our phone and we consume we consume mm-hmm. information on a level that we've never consumed before like i read this the other day the average instagram user scrolls through 92 meters of content a day and you oh just oh my gosh that's you a just, fantastic fact <laughs> wait 92 so meters a day. Wow. And you just can't do that with a thing like a book or newspapers. Like yeah. it's so different than other mediums of media. Like you can't do that with other things. Like you can't go through 92 movies a day, you know, like yeah. you actually have to sit through things differently. But on social media, you can see something and scroll, see something and scroll. So anyways, what I'm getting at is that we're kind of, it's a hypernormal stimuli like social media is. And we're, we our brains get hijacked into it. And then in some weird way, we're almost, I'm not going to say that we are addicted, but it's almost like an addiction. Like it's mimicking an addiction. Oh, and I think I th- it is. I think it is. Totally. And your book talks about self-regulation. And I love that so much because in the book, you also don't demonize tech. You you know, you say mm-hmm. all of these really wonderful things that tech gives us, gives us connection. It gives us information. It allows you to be informed. It allows you to like, you know, like the way that we met allows you to connect with really cool people. You know, you don't want to take that away, but it's about how can you actually regulate yourself on these platforms or on these devices? So then that way your experience is more of a well wellness experience instead of it being like, stressful because I feel like so many people they actually don't feel good being online you know they get it is it is so stressful seeing so much information out there yeah and one thing that I found is that 
when I'm online, I'm in this constant state of want. Like I can never get satiated. I never, mm-hmm. you can never get to the bottom of the internet and you can never mm-hmm. get full. You're always hungry. And when I turn it off, I suddenly, it, it's such a quick switch for me. I suddenly just feel satiated and I feel not only that, but I appreciate everything I already have. So whereas when I'm online, I can't get enough stressful news headlines or notifications or posts or emails, mm. more, 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 more. I'm hungry, hungry, hungry. I turn it off and I'm like, oh, actually I'm not hungry. Mm-hmm. And I have this beautiful meal in front of me and I'm appreciating it. I'm tasting it. I'm, I'm in a state of um, appreciation and not need or want, which is a really huge different state of being of the difference of wanting and hungry and never full versus um, just being present and grateful for what you already have. So true. And I come from the eating disorder um, recovery community. And we talk about that so much when it comes to actually mindful eating, like right. not eating with screens, because the screens right. actually throw off your internal hunger and fullness cues because you're distracted. <gasps> and that makes sense. That you know, is like, so great. Oh my gosh. Yeah. That's such a great point. It turns yeah. off those cues. Yeah. Cause it's putting you in this like gobble, gobble in your eyes and your yes. visual and your food. And yeah. For sure. And it totally, I mean, we associate food with TV and movies so often, you know, like when you go to, like you were saying, like going to the cinema, like you go to the cinema and you get a beautiful bag of popcorn and that stuff is great. And when you have it, it's awesome. When you're doing it all the time, though, I do yeah. think that it 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 hinders your body from its natural processes. Yeah. And- I completely yeah. yeah, actually, that's why my one, like, my daughters will tell you, like, I have, like, popcorn is just a facilitator of butter. And I love popcorn. <sighs> I love it. It's just a vessel so, for the butter. I mean, it is just like, and um, when we normally would go to the, like, we have a movie night here at my house on Sunday nights, and I do make popcorn with butter and yeast. And like, it's so yummy. And the other night, last night, which was a Monday night, Blim was like, can we have some popcorn? And I looked at her and I said, no, it's just, it has to be a special thing. Like it's so good. And like on Shabbat, I have ice cream. It's like my cheat day. It's the day we make challah. I have bread, I have carbs, but Mm. you have to relegate that to these special, you have to create boundaries because it's like, you cannot have that all the time. And if every time you're scrolling, you're like, I'm going to eat you know, or people that drink, and then it just like removes their regulation. So they eat a lot more. And like, in some ways, drinking is like scrolling on the internet, it releases your boundaries. And my whole book is about the value of boundaries that boundaries can set you free boundaries can make you enjoy more what you already have. And the thing about the internet is that it has removed all these boundaries. Like you can work from the beach, you can work from anywhere, but that's not good. You don't want to work from the beach. You want to be at the beach when you're at the beach. And like all that the boundaries have gotten so blurry that it's, yeah. it's there. You're, ne- you're, you're everywhere and nowhere. 
So true. You're absolutely right that boundaries actually give us that distinction between like, I'm really, really, really enjoying this. And then this is when it becomes too much. And you're right. We have totally lost some of that ability to make that distinction for ourselves, which is why I think more of these technological conversations, more of the mental health conversations are so important because what it is doing is that it's saying like life is, you know, these phones and these screens are an extension of our lives, but our lives are being lived inside of us right here, right now. And we're not paying attention to them. And so oftentimes, like you, you mention it, it's uh, so clearly and so beautifully in the book about how we pull out our phones when we're nervous, just like how we would like having a cigarette, you know, like we're standing in line, we're waiting for somebody, we want to take a break, we want like, you know, alone time, we go on our phones the same way that we would light up a smoke. And that isn't something to shame. It's definitely one of those self soothing behaviors where it just makes us for some reason in the moment feel better. And I think having this conversation of talking about well, why does it make you feel better? Like, what is it replacing for you? You know, like where, what sort of anxieties or or nervousness are you experiencing? And is there another way that you can help soothe yourself? Well, I thought I would love to have a pop-up screen. So like whenever you like flick your wrist to turn on your phone and a screen would pop up and it would say, what need are you trying to fill? And then it would list, you would have like pre-entered like five other things that bring you joy or calm you. And it would suggest those. And actually that, you know, I used to wake up and look at my phone. First thing I use it as an alarm clock. I've tried a lot of other options for some reason. That's just, that's, that's what I do, but I have it on airplane mode. And when I wake up, I don't look at, I look at the clock and it's on airplane mode. And I go down to make my coffee and I write in something called a five minute journal. Um, just writes like, three things I'm grateful for, three ways that would make today great. It's like six lines total. And I haven't looked at my phone and I set the tone for my day versus the stress that I would get if I, the mixture of probably stress, FOMO, whatever combination uh, social media and news and emails would bring um, before I really woke up. So that's been a huge thing. And I think There's a doctor that I work with called Dr. Michael Rich, and he's at Harvard, and he runs a center um, for internet um, disorder, you know, addiction. He doesn't call it, he doesn't like to call it addiction. And I put it in the book because I, he and I have gone back and forth on this. He said, addiction implies, and it's kind of the same reason I don't like the word detox, digital detox. I don't like that phrase because it implies you. Oh my God, me too. No, thank you. Uh -uh. I, I just, it's like, it implies you can live without it. You can't live without it. How are you going to have a healthier relationship to your tech? And I imagine that's probably what you talk about with food. How can you have a healthier relationship with food? And I'm saying, how can we have a healthier relationship with tech? And I do actually use the food metaphor because if you think about what you need to eat or just even your nutritional, like your well-being for the day, you should go outside for a walk. You should have some space out time. You should you know, eat some healthy food from all the food groups. And right now, if you really put down on, on a plate how much time you're on screen time versus like authentic connecting versus a walk outside. Like we need to think of it as a balanced way to live. So true. And how do we actually incorporate these things into our balance instead of us just like being so distracted by them or they're just attractive like we all we also forget that we're still like mammals you know like we're still like these like you know very intelligent apes and if you give an ape 
you know, a cell phone, you'll watch them just be so consumed by it. And we're not any different than that. We might think so because we can, we can talk about it, but we're actually not that much different from it. So I love the idea that, you know, like I stay away from the term detox because I've like, I just, I don't, it's it's just co-opted and I don't, I don't like it. But I also love the fact that you're so inclusive in this and the Shabbat, the idea of just like taking more rest is so accessible because you're not saying you have to throw out your cell phone and like live in the woods and be a hippie and like go to Burning Man. Like you're not saying that stuff. But what you're saying is that we can actually take time to ask ourselves, why are we picking up our phones right now? What, what need is it facilitating, you know? And sometimes it's like, oh, I really want to look up this really cool fact. Other times it's, I really want to see what other people are doing. And that is the desire for social connection. You know, you're picking it up because you want to be socially connected and involved in the social groups. Because that's how we're built too, the social hardwiring. Yeah, I wrote a news, I have a weekly, well, actually, normally I do a quarterly newsletter called Breakfast at Tiffany's, which I've had for over 20 something years. But during COVID, I've been doing, oh, thank you. Well, I'll make sure that you get it. Because last week, I've been doing it weekly. And also my brother's a doctor and he's been really involved in um, giving insights during this period. So I've been doing a weekly version. And last week, uh, the subject header was, um, we're social creatures. So what do we do? Because that we need to be around people. We need to hug people. We need to be in contact with people. So how do we make it through this period? And I do think a lot about that because, you know, the Zooms, I'm sure you went through the period at the beginning. It was super exciting. You were scheduling all these Zooms and social Zooms. Mm-hmm. And, and then there was a period where you're like, oh my God, it's too much. And I think part of it is because, y- you know, you can't even really, like, I'm trying to make direct eye contact with you on this technology. And I am Sometimes looking at the camera, so you'll think, and then sometimes I just want to look at you, but it's like slightly off. And I think that really affects you. Like I'm looking at you and I'm enjoying looking at you, but then I want to make eye contact with you. And I really can't because when I'm looking at you, I'm not looking at the camera. Anyways, whoever invents that technology is going to be a bajillionaire, but um, like a camera right at the center of the laptop. So we're like making eye contact. Absolutely. But, but then you actually, the the whole part of making eye contact is for you to also see their eyes. So it's yeah. almost like it has to just like the webcam has to just be the screen. And then we can stare into, we can stare into each other's eyes. But that is yeah. such a vital thing is eye contact and all these Zooms, which are great. I mean, obviously, I have connected with so many interesting people like you during this period where who knows if we had, you know, if it wasn't during the pandemic. So I'm so grateful for that. But the connecting is like, like, I'd love to have you over for dinner. Like that would be so much more fun. And this is a great conversation, but how great to be in person. And I actually hope that where we come out the other side, that people are just going to appreciate so much being in person. Hopefully they'll put their phones down, really be present with people and not be like we were before, which was kind of everywhere and nowhere. I completely agree. And I want to actually talk to you about this idea between working long hours and productivity. And in the book, you write a 2014 study from Stanford on the productivity of working hours shows the relationship between productivity and hours worked is non-linear. So productivity actually decreases over 50 work hours per week. And companies that have offered employees 32 work 
32-hour work weeks or six-hour work days report that their workforce gets more done while remaining happier in their jobs. Switching to perpetual motion machines to a lower gear means it breaks down less often. And that's such a good analogy. If we think about our bodies as machines, if we actually work them less and we get more out of it over time, like that just makes so much sense to me you wrote that and I was like ding like light bulb on well you know I think also it's like all the adjectives people use for tech if they're trying to sell a new technology it's like it's faster the processing speed is faster it's going to make you more efficient it's like all this language about optimizing what you're doing well if we looked at rest actually as a technology that rest itself is a technology that can make you more creative, more productive, more efficient. Then it's like flipping it on its head and then suddenly maybe we'll value it more instead of this 24-7. Like when everybody, well, I'm available 24-7. I don't want you to be available 24-7. Get some sleep, get some rest, and then you're going to be better for me 24-6. You know? So true. Yeah. And I love that because you do frame rest as this almost like internal technology, like like we have this built in system in us and we're rejecting it constantly by going on our screens, by working longer. And I'm not saying that those things don't make us feel like they're important because I'm sure somebody who's listening to this is probably like finishing school and needs to work those long hours or, you know, is involved in a very strenuous job. And those things definitely I'm not going to take those away. Those things are absolutely important. And we've created that as a society that like your productivity is really, it's, and we've now attached our self-worth to it. That if like I take a day off of rest, I feel so bad about myself because I could have been producing something. Yeah. And that's about, I mean, I think about it because like in my early twenties, when I was founding the Webby Awards, I mean, I worked so much and did I need to do that to establish my career? But if I, if my, my 50 year old voice now, I just turned 50, could talk to my 25 year old version of myself. And I would say to her, you're, you're working so hard. It's so great. But if you really took that full day off, you would make better work because I know that to be true now. So it's like you're, you're, what's that expression when you're like burning the candle at both ends, or you're just like running in circles and your work will be better if you really take a day off and you value that and protect it and say, I mean, I tell when, when I tell people, oh yeah, I'm not available. I mean, now most people in my life know that I obviously wrote a book about it. It's been 10 years, but I remember at the beginning it was like people were, what, you know, or even during the pandemic, a lot of people were saying, oh, well, you're not still doing your day off, right? Because like, and I'm like, right, I'm doing it. Are you fucking kidding me? Like, it's like I'm doing thing. it even more. <laughs> I mean, it's like keeping me going in a way you have no yeah. idea. So it's yeah. like, it's I was going to ask, yeah. how did you find your productivity shift or even your relationship to productivity shift when you started doing the the days off? I just so much more energized. I, I just, first of all, I come up with a lot of ideas on Saturday that I would write by hand on, like I have a notepad that I write on Saturdays with. And I always had such clarity, anything I was struggling with, or I was like worrying about, I just had such clarity after my day off and I had renewed energy. And, you know, my, my husband started doing Shabbats when he was in grad school and he was working all the time. And he used to say that just one complete day off felt like as much relaxation from a real two-day weekend. And um, actually in Israel, where this, like, it is a country law, Shabbat. I mean, it's a big issue there because there's 
a small group of very religious people that are controlling the laws so that the whole country shuts down, no buses, no nothing on Shabbat. And my husband studied there and he was like, what? I can't go anywhere. And he, and then he came to just love it. He would do watercolors. He'd do poet, read poetry. He's like, I came to understand that this was like the most amazing thing. And then in Israel, they don't have two day weekends. Sunday's a work day. And he's like, I felt so recharged and refreshed that I was just like, just so energized on Sunday morning. Now I I also take Sunday off, so I'm not like (laughs) a little bit more, but I think I do a different kind of work on Sunday, but because I usually try to enter in all my ideas from Saturday and there's so many, like I still have, you're going to laugh. I write by hand and I had so many ideas on Saturday. I still haven't written them all into my computer yet. That's amazing. I am spilling out insights and realizations of things that I was wrestling with during the week. And it only happens on Saturday because I give myself the space to actually think and not be interrupted and, you know, go down a rabbit hole on the internet. Yeah, that is so beautiful. And it's almost as if like we're consuming all of this information during the week, consuming, consuming, consuming. And then when you are able to rest, you kind of allow your brain to actually metabolize that information and then spit it out again in its own way. Like that creative process kind of starts working, like the juices start getting like flowing more and more. And then you're able to actually like input it into something instead of just like having that all that information inside of your head and not doing anything with it. Like the rest mm-hmm. part allows you kind of, it allows you same thing with what sleep does. Like it allows your brain to start connecting one idea to another. It starts allowing yeah. it to do its own thing. Like you stop into, inter- mm-hmm. like you said, stop interrupting it, oh, which is I love so that's important. That's a great way to put it. You stop interrupting your own brain. You know, it's really interesting because, um, I've been trying to do more meditation. And now that's like almost the opposite. It's like, don't have a thought. If a thought comes in, push the thought away and just try to think of nothing. On the other side of it is the more of the state that I'm in on Shabbat, which is let your ideas make flow and let them link together in new ways and new ideas are going to come. And so it's it really, it's actually, there's a term in neuroscience called the default mode network, which is when you're focused on something, you're just like focused on a task. But when you're in the default mode network, which is, the, you know, it's why you have your best ideas when you're washing the dishes or going for a run, or you're just kind of keeping your body busy, but your mind is moving and grooving and daydreaming and linking and coming up with new ideas. So we need to create more space. Like Tech Shabbat's like a whole day of that. Yes, absolutely. And what I think too is this is, uh, I'm really excited to chat with you about this, is that the rest that you get on Shabbat is different than the rest that you would get really when you're really tired and you're like, okay, you know what, I'm going to take the night off. And then you're on your phone, you have your computer open and Netflix is running in the background. You know, like that type of rest, I think is actually more stressful. The amount of times that I've done that where I'm like, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to, I'm going to take the night off. And then I do, but then the night my bedtime comes and I'm like, oh, but I'm not done. And like, I don't feel good. And like, this doesn't feel restful. Whereas on Shabbat, like during the Shabbats, I'm sure that when you just take that time off, like you actually are like chilling out so much, even if you're really creative, but like, you're actually like calming down and you're you're giving your nervous system that break from those distractions or interruptions. Yes. And it's called the, um, the actual system in the body, you know, there's like fight and flight, which is like cortisol and stress and alert and notifications Mm -hmm. and things on your phone and (laughs) news headlines. That's like, that's one way to exist. And then 
the parasympathetic nervous system is the opposite. Mm -hmm. And it's all about rest and digest, tend and befriend. It's the social needs of like true connection and it's resting your body. And those are so important and we don't give it enough attention. And so Mm -hmm. I feel like my Friday night to Saturday night is this huge sympathetic nervous system festival for my Mm -hmm. body. I'm like, I'm like resting and digesting and tending and befriending, even if it's just to myself, I'm befriending myself for a day and I'm not feeling obligated. And I love talking to my friends and family. I talk to them all the time. But some, even that sometimes just feels good to be like, actually, no, I'm just gonna, just gonna talk to myself. Or if you live with other your husband, daughters, just like be with the people in your space, even if that's just you and give that value and appreciation. Did you find that your sleep actually got better once you started taking these technological breaks because I we just did an episode on sleep and so everyone who's going to be listening will hopefully understand why sleep is so important and how you can't hack your way out of sleep it is actually built into us for very important reasons and I'm curious how your sleep changed yeah the only night of the week I get a good night's sleep is Friday night and it's like I have problems sleeping it started kind of in the last five years. I'm sure it's hormonal um, being a woman at this age, but um, the only night of the week that I sleep well is Friday night. And like, I, I, I mean, that's not totally true. Like I go through bouts where I sleep okay, but I'm in one where I'm not sleeping well. And I slept really well Friday night. And then I have not slept well the last, I took something the night before to sleep. But when I don't have, because here it's the one night of the week, I don't have technology in my bedroom too. It's downstairs and I'm not hearing you know, or even thinking about it. Cause even the presence of it, I think disrupts your sense of rest. Yes. So I am all, I want to listen to your, will you send me your sleep episode? Because <laughs> I do Epsom salt baths. I do like, oh, I do so yeah. many rituals to try to have sleep. a good sleep. Yeah, yeah for sure. Taking, I mean, I do melatonin gummies sometimes. If I really need to sleep, I'll take a Benadryl, but I try mm-hmm. not to take anything and just make it all natural, but it's tough. It's really tough. Yeah. I actually have a sleep disorder and it's like, un, it's um, it's not in the category, like it's not fully insomnia. It's not, mm. it's not apnea. It's just, they're like this, the sleep experts, they're like, oh, it's probably anxiety or depression. And I'm like, great. I could have told you that before going through all these tests. But, like, no problem. but something that I wanted to touch on was that I was having all of these issues sleeping and my partner actually, he sleeps with his phone outside of his bedroom. So when we started dating last fall, he encouraged me to sleep with my phone outside of the bedroom. And mm-hmm. I didn't dream for like two years. Like I just, I wasn't able to get into a REM cycle, which is where your active dreaming occurs. Yeah. And I slept with my phone out of the bedroom and it like made me really nervous at first. And then that night was the first time that I dreamt in two years. Oh my gosh. You're inspiring me to try my various other alarm clocks. You should see, I have, I bought a scented alarm clock. So it like wakes you up with aromatherapy, but it was like the interface was too complicated. And then I have a cheapo alarm clock, but the sound is really annoying. Like I don't like a beeping, you know, it's like so many things I've done. So I'm curious um, to quote you, and this might be one of my favorite quotes ever, each generation's task is finding the parts of society that are good and leaving the parts that are harmful behind. And I love this. I'm curious, what good parts of technology are you hoping to stay? Mm, That's a great question. 
It's a good quote. Yeah, it's a great question. Well, I've I've loved seeing during the pandemic just actually social media being used not for FOMO, but to really collaborate and share resources and ideas. I've seen so many beautiful examples of creativity and collaboration. I've been very in sharing scientific information. So I've been very hopeful of what the role that the web can play. And it's important for everyone to remember that only half the planet is online. We need to get the other half on. I mean, 29% of New York doesn't have Wi-Fi in their homes. So to truly get everyone on. And, and for me, I think it's to really talk about a healthier relationship to tech, that 24-7 shouldn't be a goal. And we need to bake in practices and rituals where we're offline. It's a very powerful network, but we need to step away from it long enough to know who we are ourselves and to know how we want to best contribute to society and the web. And I think that involves um, a tech Shabbat for people. Absolutely. <laughs> thank you. That is so beautiful. So, so beautiful. Thank you thank so much you. for sharing. I love talking to you. Yeah. Oh, so good. Really, so truly. Good. And I'll definitely, to whoever's listening right now, we'll gift two copies of the book to our listeners and you guys will be in for such a beautiful oh, ride. And it's thanks. a wonderful, great, accessible book to read about tech. It's like not, because I feel like when people hear the term tech, they can kind of almost, it, it's, it, it's a, it's an, it's an interesting industry. And so I feel like it can feel like a hurdle to start introducing your mind to like what tech is and, and all those things. And like, they might think that it's like geeky, but it's actually like the coolest book ever. And it's so good. So I'm really excited for people to listen or read it. Oh, made my day. Such a joy talking to you. And I love your work. It's very inspiring and courageous and bold. And I love that. Thank you. And where can everyone find you online? So on Instagram, I'm just at Tiffany Schlein. And my last name has no C in it. So just S-H-L-A-I-N. And then I'm I'm new on Instagram. I'm having a lot of fun with it. And then on Twitter, I'm at Tiffany Schlain. And, and on Facebook, my film studio has um, Tiffany Schlain Films. And then if people want to sign up for my um, my newsletter, it's they can just go to tiffanyschlain.com. And it has all the information about my films and all my various things. Oh, actually, wait. I should say one more thing is that um, the book website, which is 246Life, and six is spelled out S-I-X, I have a lot of short films I've made on the subject because before I wrote the book, I really explored a lot of these ideas in a whole bunch of short films. So there's a lot of resources there too. Great. I'll definitely be sure to check that out and we'll definitely be sure to put that up as well. So I'm really looking forward to people diving into your work. Thank you again, Tiffany. Thank you so much. All right, friends, you made it to the end of the episode. You know what to do now. Head over to our Instagram account, Conversations with Kenzie, and let us know what you loved about the episode. Or let us know what you didn't love. What questions did we miss? What questions could we have asked differently? Let us know there. As always, stay curious, keep asking questions, and keep making conversations in your everyday life. Until next time. <laughs>